welcome everyone. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Absolutely delighted to welcome you. If you're joining us by way of audio or video podcast, it is January 10th in Kentucky. We went to bed. It was 50-something degrees. We woke up this morning, wind chill 14, 14 degrees. Ooh, 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 first snow in Kentucky. So welcome to Kentucky. Uh, welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. Love you so much. All of you in cafe, we love you guys. Uh, let's worship together in the word. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. This is the final message in a series entitled Resolution. We started this at New Year's, which was just you know, a week and a half ago. It seems like a thousand years. And by now, some of you may have already abandoned some of the resolutions that you had made, some of the good intentions you had established in order to, uh, to improve yourself. Um, it's very, very difficult to change, very, very difficult to improve ourselves. If it were all that easy, we wouldn't need the Lord and we wouldn't need each other, but we desperately need uh, the Lord and we need each other. Our New Year's resolutions tend to uh, circulate around three different areas. The first one we talked about last Sunday morning, that's just simply the, the, the whole idea of, of, of living longer or at least uh, having better health, at least looking better, something related to living longer. We talked last Sunday night about having more about money. A lot of us make financial goals to get out of debt or to control our spending, uh, maybe to give more. Uh, this morning, I want us to talk about the one that probably hits closest to most of our hearts, and that has to do with relationships. Most people who make New Year's resolutions make them in the area of relationships. They want to uh, have a better marriage. They want to keep their word. They want to spend more time with their teenager. Uh, I don't exactly know where your re relationship goals are, but let's talk about those today. Let's go back to the verse we started with last week, Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, back up for me there, uh, Aaron, if you can. I'm sorry, Jordan. Back one more. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Thank you very much. By his divine power, by God's power, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness. We received all this by coming to know him. By his divine power, God gives us everything we need. Everything we need to please him and everything we need to live a full life of, of godliness, a life he has for us. But here's the catch here. M much of what we need, which God provides for us, it comes to us through relationships with other people. God uses other people. And this is why we need people in our lives. God does his perfect work in us by bringing people into our lives. Now, I said God does his perfect work. Would we say God does his perfect work by bringing perfect people into our lives? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, it is the imperfect people. God always brings exactly the people you need in your life in order to grow and become more like Christ. That's the purpose of your life. To become more like Christ, to, to grow in patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. And all of those qualities are relational qualities. You need people. You need people. And so that is why relationships are so important. That's what friends are for. So let's jump back into the very same passage, Proverbs chapter 3. Walk through it again, and this time we're looking for relational wisdom. We're going to pull out the kernels of wisdom that will help us. Help us in relationships of all kinds. Let's start chapter 3, verse 1. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Here we go, verse 3. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within 
your heart. Let's stop right there. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. So a married couple, Jonathan and Meg, they had only been married a short time when they were having a discussion. You've had one of those? Discussion. And in the middle of this discussion, Meg says just loudly and, and, and profoundly, Meg just says, the problem with us in this marriage is that you don't have any friends. She said that to her husband. The problem with us in our marriage is that you don't have any friends. Okay, now when she said it, Jonathan, just, his mind just goes, goes crazy because he's thinking, why would she say that to me? How can I not have friends? And then he really started thinking that in grade school, he had a lot of friends. In grade school, when you're a kid, friendships sometimes come very, very easily. You play ball, you, uh, you're on the academic team, whatever it is. You just are around kids, and you sort of fall into friendships. It's, it's easier when you're a kid to have a lot of friends. Jonathan, though, played sports all through high school. He had, he had a team always with him. In college, he lived in a fraternity house with 70 other guys. He had never in his life not had friends. But the truth was, at this stage of his life, at this season of his life in marriage, his wife was right. He didn't have a friend in the world. They had moved away from most of the people that he had ever known. And when it came right down to it, uh, even though they were having sort of a heated discussion, Meg was his best friend. She was really the only person that he had. He had people at work, lots of people at work. And he would say there were friendly people at his church, but he didn't have any friends. Didn't have any friends. So how is that even an issue? I, I mean, by the time you're a grown man, do you just really, really need a buddy anymore? Do you still need somebody, you know, to, 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 to hang out with? I mean, do you still need that once you're grown? So this is what she said. In the middle of discussion, our problem in this marriage is that you don't have any friends. Where did that come from? I mean, in a discussion, how do you get from our marriage to you don't have any friends? So that's what he said. Why would you say that? What does that have to do with anything? Why would you say that the problem in our marriage is that I don't have friends? Okay. But then you back up, you back up the, relate, the, the, the discussion, you back up the argument. And as it turns out, right before she said that, what he had said was, I'm tired of you nagging me. I'm tired of you nagging me. And then she says, our problem is you don't have friends. How are those connected? How are those even connected? So that's why he said, well, what, why would you say that? What's that have to do with anything? What does my not having friends have to do with the fact that you nag me all the time? Can you see the connection? Meg slowly tried to explain it to him. He said, honey, I am the only person in your life who can tell you anything. I'm the only person in your life that you have that will tell you the truth. I'm the only person that can call you out. I'm the only person that can call you out for being selfish. I'm the only person that, that you have to be on time for. I'm the only person that you have to, to, to say anything that you need to hear. And honestly, honey, I'm tired of being the only person. I would rather be in your life to support you. But as it is, I have to be in your life as the only person who can tell you the truth. Do you see that? Do you understand that? 
Most of us think that friends are somehow just, you know, so that you have somebody to watch a ball game with, or that friends are there in your life for, for the simple person of reason of having somebody to talk to, somebody to text, somebody to, to send a recipe to on Facebook, something like that. But honestly, as believers, understanding what the purposes of God are in, in our lives, you have to understand that you need people for something so much, so much greater, for purposes so much beyond simply having another couple to go out to dinner with on a Friday night. Understand that our, our deep desire for intimacy, our, our deep desire for connection with other people, it comes because we were created for intimacy with God. Your deep desire for love, your need for love is based on the fact that you were created in the image of a God who is love. And so you were created with, for relationship with him. So your purpose in life is to come to know your creator, to learn his great love, and to begin to share, let him share his love with you. And that's what happens when you surrender your heart to him. That's what the Christian life is all about, growing, coming to know your creator and growing in love with him and for him. But as you begin to experience God's love in you, God's love is going to begin to flow through you, and that love longs to be shared. So you're going to begin to connect and become drawn into relationship with other people because God is love, and he pours his love into your heart. Are you with me? And then God's going to do his perfect work in your life. He's going to continue to change you and help you to become more like him, growing in love and patience and a willingness to sacrifice because that's what love always does, you understand? And for that reason, you're always going to need people. You're going to need people. Now, we're talking about resolution and life change. We're talking about, as we began last week, why it is it so difficult for most of us to make changes. And we said that it's, it's difficult because there's a conflict in us. We need God first. We need to make peace with God in order for us to have peace with our own selves. And only then can we begin to somehow not always struggle with that, I, I, I want to do better, but I can't. Well, the bottom line is because much of what God does in your life is through people, life change happens best in relationship. It's very, very difficult for you to make the changes you need to make when you don't have any people in your life. You need people. You need people. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous discovered this a long, long time ago. If you're serious about changing your life, you're going to need people who are going to be willing to walk alongside you in that journey. You need people. Oprah's all up in her face already with Weight Watchers this year. Have you noticed that? Oprah knows good and well. If you're going to do this, you're going to need people. You need to find a group. You need some people around you who will encourage you in the changes you need to make. You need people. All right, now back to the passage. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you, verse 3. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Loyalty and kindness, never let them leave you. In other words, when it comes to relationship, when it comes to life in general, you need these two qualities, loyalty and kindness. Now, interestingly, in all of the Old Testament, whenever these two words are put together, they otherwise will refer to God. These are characteristics that belong to God. So in that sense, we are being asked to imitate God, to become more like Him. You need to be more loyal. You need to be more kind. And when you are, you will find favor with both God and people. Loyalty 
and kindness. So what's being said here? What's the commandment here? What's the wisdom we need to learn? It's really not very complicated, you all. Number one, you just got to learn to be kind. You be kind. It really isn't rocket science here. When you're kind, you'll find favor both with God and people. Be kind. Some of you have forgot basic kindness. You wonder why you don't have any friends, but your dog can't even stand to be with you. You're not a kind person. You're just not a kind person. You've got to be kind. Some of you I know are struggling in your married life right now. Do you not understand how much better your marriage would be starting now? No counseling, no further conversation. You don't understand the drive home from church could be better today if the two of you would just learn to be kind. What happened to you? Why are you so sour? Why is it that every word he says to you will trigger the next argument? Why in the world can you not just be kind? Kindness. It's not going to pull a muscle for you, I promise. You've just got to make a decision to be kind and be loyal. Loyalty. It's just that quality of a person that you would say, man, you know when I think about it, she's always there for me. He's always there for me. Loyalty. Again, these are attributes of God. These are qualities that belong to God. And you know how God in his loyalty, God in his loyal love, he is always there, always there to take care of us. He never leaves us. He never turns his back on us. And this is exactly how you're called to be in the world. You're supposed to be loyal to people, to the family members in your life, to your church, to to whoever there is that crosses your path. You owe them a debt of loyalty. Nobody needs another fair-weather friend. Nobody needs somebody who's there and then just gone. A true friend is a loyal person. So do you get this? Be kind. And I guess we could say be there. Just be there for people. Be there and be kind. Okay, so these are the two qualities that are very, very important in relationship. Whatever relationship, whether it's marriage or friendship or just your neighbors, be there. Be kind. Now, if you're supposed to grow in these qualities, how will you grow in these qualities? How can you become more kind? Well, may I make a suggestion? Once you practice on real people. Just practice on real people. Practice being kind. At first, it's going to seem a little strange to you, but you just practice being kind. Why don't you put on a smile? Just practice smiling. At first, people will wonder, is she drunk? Is she high? But you just practice smiling at people. Practice kindness. Why don't you practice being there for people? For a change, you just be loyal and you be kind. And you practice this. You need real people. Do you understand? This is what I'm saying. You need people in your life so that you can become the person that God intends for you to be. And that includes kindness and loyalty. And you can only learn these things in relationships with real people. You need people. You need people so that you can change. You need people so that you can grow. You're never going to do this without people. To put it plainly, you need friends. You need friends. So let's go to the rest of this passage. Jump over to verse 27. 
At the end of this amazing chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, the end of this chapter, there, there's, you've heard of a to-do list? We got a to-don't list here. There are five prohibitions, five things not to do, and if you will learn to avoid these five things, I, I have a feeling the quality of your relationships is going to greatly improve. So let's start with the first one, verse 27, the first to don't. You ready? Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. So let's start right there. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. Uh, I, I would say it this way. Can you advance it for me? I'm sorry, we, we jumped one. We always go two more. Go back one. Thank you. Yeah, here we go. Don't think you can't hurt people by doing nothing. It's right there. The proverb speaks in terms of don't withhold good. Don't withhold good. I would say it this way. Don't think you can't hurt people by doing nothing. Psychologists call it passive aggression, and some of us are really, really good at it, especially those of us who are religious. Because we, we think of ourselves as nice people. We think of ourselves as kind people. And so therefore, as kind, nice people, we will never do anything mean to anybody. We just don't think of ourselves as mean. We're nice. We're, we're always nice. And if somebody asks us to do something, we'll just always say yes, whether we want to do it or not. We, we, we make a lot of promises and we smile. And, but the bottom line is we still find amazing ways to really stick it to people, but we do it in ways that, that, that we still feel like we were nice. We don't actually hurt people, but we will hurt them by not doing anything. We won't harm them directly, we'll harm them indirectly. It's, it's passive aggression. Passive aggression in a marriage is where I really, really hurt my wife, but I hurt her in such a way that when she says, why did you do that? I can say, what? What? I didn't do anything. What? You understand? Anytime you really hurt them, if they say, why did you do that? And you go, what? That's passive aggression. Being late is passive aggression. Understand? Because you could be on time, right? You have a watch. You could be on time. But the fact that you're never on time for people, understand? That's just mean. It's just mean. That the whole family always has to wait for you, that's mean. And we have a feeling you know what you're doing. Understand? So why are you always late? What? What? I'm not always late. Understand? Why are you always on my back? It's, it's passive aggression. You can do great harm by doing nothing. Now, in the proverb, it, it can go even further than that. Anytime you have an opportunity to do good and you don't do that, that's sin. It's exactly what Scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, it is a, say the word, it's a sin. It is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. See, most of us think you can only sin if you get out of bed and do something. But no, no, Scripture reminds us you can do a whole lot of sinning just by not doing anything. Now, in relationships, you have responsibility. You have expectations. If you're really going to love people and be loved, then you've got to do your part. But so many of us are just absent in relationships because we don't do our part. We know what we ought to do, but we just never do it. And when someone says, you know, why, why don't you love me? We're like, what? What? It's great harm can be done by, by doing nothing. And many of us in relationships, we're doing great harm just by not showing up. We do great harm by not saying the things that we ought to say. It is a sin to know what you ought to say and not to say it. You understand? That's a sin. 
things that you ought to say that you never say, things that you know you ought to do and you just never do it. You understand, that is poison in a relationship. You do great harm sometimes by doing nothing. If you know what you ought to do, you do that, especially if you want to have friends. If you know what to do, you know what you need to say, you do and say what needs to be said and done. Does that make sense? Let's keep going. Ain't this fun? Let's go to 28. If you can help your neighbor now, verse 28, if you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow. I would say it this way, don't ignore the person in need. Now, some of us have had those high-maintenance people in our lives that always need something. They'll, they'll just suck you dry. You know, everything you're given, they'll take it. I know that sometimes relationships get really, really complicated, but, but don't necessarily go there. Just think about the kind of safety net that we all hope exists in the world and in the church. It's, it's a safety net, and we, we use that terminology, but a safety net is still just people. Uh, understand it's it's a network it's a network of connections between people that provides security and we all need that and and we all want to live in a world we all want to be in a church where there's that kind of safety net I would want to think that if I fall into a real difficult time if suddenly Casey and I were thrown into a situation where we really needed people I'm praying y'all are there for us It's, it's called the safety net Lots of times, lots of days, we don't need extra help. We're fine on our own. But but inevitably, there's going to come a time. It's going to be 2 in the morning, and I'm going to need somebody. I need to know I can call somebody. It's the safety net. And if I don't have that, then I don't have safety. I I don't have security in the world. Remember, the way God often takes care of us is through people. So God wants me to have somebody in my life I can call at 2 a.m. But you know how that works? It, it's, a, it's a network of connections, which means it's not just that I got y'all on call at 2 a.m. and don't bother me. And that's how a lot of us live. We never really imagine that it could be us one day that needs the help. It's just other people that need help. And so, you know, we just check our calls and, you know, I'm not taking it. You, you understand? You're not there for people. Just not there for people. The scripture says plainly, if you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow. No, when and why would you ever say come back tomorrow? Because you're really hoping that before tomorrow they find somebody else. You know, come back tomorrow. I'll help you tomorrow. And you're really hoping by the time tomorrow comes they found Rick Tingle. I mean, isn't that the only reason to put somebody off? Just sort of hoping, man, if I can get them through today, maybe they'll never have to come back and ask me. Because bottom line, you don't want to help. You don't intend to help people. I know that most of the people listening to this sermon right now are religious people, and you think of yourself as a helpful person. You think of yourself as a person that somebody could call at 2 a.m. and you'd be there. But let me just, when's the last time somebody called you at 2 a.m. and asked you to be there? The fact that they never call probably suggests that they, they just don't think of you as that person. Don't ignore the person in need, especially your friends, especially your family. Do you really want to live in a world where nobody can count on anybody? You, you need friends, but you got to be a friend, and that means being there when people need you. You got to be there, and you got to be there ready to help. 
So many of us are so very self-reliant. Like I say, Casey and I, we don't need much from anybody, man. I mean, she's a nurse. I got a PhD. You know, we, we handle stuff. We think. So when people call, you know, it's just like, man, why don't they do that? Why don't they do that? Why can't they just like, take care of that, man? You know, work, pay your bills. We just forget, you know, that tomorrow it could be us. You know, I mean, you know, it's the grace of God that, you know, allows me to be on my feet. And man, I, I could be off my feet tomorrow. Not that God's going to turn his back on me, but life is tough. Man, it could be me tonight. I mean, I may need somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, I, I need to be there for others because, man, next time it could be me. And, and when they need you now, don't, don't say come back tomorrow. Don't, don't just help people when it's convenient for you. And if they need help now, help them now. Have you forgotten what it is to need help now? You need help now, you need help now. D don't ignore people in need. Verse 29, don't plot harm against your neighbor for those who live nearby trust you. I really like that one. Don't, don't plot harm against your neighbor for those who live nearby trust you. I, I would say it this way, don't take advantage of people who trust in you. To trust is a valuable thing. It's a gift. It really, really is. And if somebody trusts you, 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 you don't take advantage of that. You, you don't do anything that would make people lose trust in you. Don't take advantage of somebody who trusts you. you know, if you're a teenager, that's like the worst thing in the world, I think. If your parents trust you and you lie to them, man, that's pretty low. Your, your parents trust you, and, and they deserve to trust you, and, and you should live worthy of that trust. If somebody trusts in you, if your wife trusts you, sir, and you continue to keep secrets from her, that's pretty low. I'm just being honest and, and, and just plain. It's low. Ma'am, your husband trusts you. He, he, he trusts you. And then you, you just spend money. You know, money's going through like poop through a goose, and you're just spending money like crazy. You know, you, you get the bill sent to your girlfriend's house your husband never sees. He trusts you. He trusts you. And, and you're taking advantage of that trust. That, that's pretty low. And that's what the Bible says. You, you don't plot harm. You, you don't go behind the back of somebody who trusts you. Trust is pretty important. Man, I had this dude one day. Uh, I, I knew him pretty well, not too well, but I'm pretty trusting. And, and this guy came by and said uh, he wanted to use my car to go to the store. Store. You know, I didn't get real specific as in what store. I just said, okay, you know, okay, keys are on the, you know, keys are on the desk. You can go to the store. Okay, he's gone four hours. Four hours. There were much closer stores. Four hours. I got angry. Uh, I, I really, did. I felt stupid, you know, because I'm the one that gave him the keys and said, you know, and I didn't really know this guy. I'm starting to think, will I ever see my car again? You know, he came up four hours later, like nothing. And I tried not to get really angry, you know, but I'm just like, you know, where have you been? You know, he said, I told you, going to the store. I said, no, I, I really, I, you know, there's no store that takes four hours. I mean, Walmart, yeah, okay, but. You know, that guy had taken my car into the next state to visit a girl. He took it into the next state to, to, to visit a woman. I was so mad. I, I was so Mad, just really, really mad. It, it went on from there. It was, it was a mess. But, but you know, bottom line, I just trusted him. I didn't know him that well, but but I, I, I trusted him. 
And he knew I trusted him. And he took advantage of that. That's just low, y'all. You know what I'm saying? It's just low. You, you don't take advantage of people who trust you. And right now, some of you are in relationships where people really do trust you. They, they really think of you as a man of his word, and you're not. And you may think but that because you continue to fool everybody that that makes it okay. That's not okay. If they never find out the way you've lied, and if they never find out the way you've gone behind their back, it still doesn't make it right. You know, it is just low when people trust you and you take advantage of that trust. That is no way to do people. Well, let's keep going. <laughs> this one's really funny. Not really, it's awful. Verse 30. Don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. Yeah, uh, I would put it this way, don't pick fights. Don't pick fights. You ever know anybody that does this? Don't pick a fight with somebody who hasn't done anything to you. That's, what, that's in the Bible. I used to ride the school bus with this. I mean, this was a girl, y'all. This was a woman. She's actually a really big girl. I mean, don't mess with this girl. But the hard thing was, you know, I had no intention of ever messing with this girl. I mean, this girl would be mean. I mean, she was, this girl was like a gorilla on the school bus. And the horrible thing is, the horrible thing is, even if you didn't do anything to her, and I promise you, I never did anything to her, I tried not to make eye contact. Because this girl was mean. And if you made eye contact, she'd say, what you looking at, fool? I'd say, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing. So you look at me when I'm talking to you, and I'm thinking, oh, it's, it's, it's happened, you know. Because once you've locked eyes with her, man, you're fighting. And you don't want to fight, you're trying not to fight. Say, what you looking at, fool? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I wasn't looking at you. You don't think I'm worth looking at? You want a piece of me? You want a piece of this? I mean, all of a sudden, she's up in you going, you want a piece of this? And you're thinking, I never want a piece of that ever, <laughs> ever, ever. What? Do y'all know those people? What in the world? What? I mean, actually, one of my goals in elementary school was never, ever to talk to her. Never, ever to make eye contact. But I mean, the minute you did, you want a piece of me? No. Never. Ever. Don't, don't pick fights. Unfortunately, some of you grew up and married that girl. You married her. I mean, every morning you roll over, you want a piece of me? No. What you looking at, fool? Oh, my goodness. You married her? Dude. <laughs> Dude, man. Okay, I'm going to talk to you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making eye contact with you. I don't want a piece of you. <clears throat> I don't. I promise I don't. I'm not looking at you, fool. I'm not. Well, why are you like this? I mean, seriously now. Why are you like this? <clears throat> it's not the school bus anymore. It's, you know, we're adulting now. Have you not noticed? And why are you still like this? It's like you have the shortest fuse in the world. I mean, all somebody has to do is look at you, and the next fight starts. I'm old enough now not to be afraid of you. I feel sorry for you because you have to live with you. 
My hunch is every time you look in the mirror, you look at that girl in the mirror, it's like, what you looking at for? I mean, you've got to live with that. You have to live with that kind of rage inside of you. I, I feel sorry for you. What are you going to do about it? You can't bully your whole way through life. And, and, and some of you are in a marriage right now with a person like this. I'm telling you, if, if you're like this, sir, if you're just constantly raging at this woman, she will not stay with you forever. And I'm not sure she should have to, to be honest. Why, why are you like this? Ma'am, why are you like this? I, I mean, seriously, even with your own children sometimes, you, you, you pick fights. There's no fight there till you show up and make one. Are you not tired of this? L let me suggest to you, as I did last week, my hunch is that your real fight is with God. For one reason or another, he is the one that, that you are you're fighting against. And you need to make peace with him. Because until you make peace with him, you're not going to have peace with anybody else. And just to be honest, you're wearing the rest of us out. We're, we're tired of you picking fights, and, and, and they're not, we're not looking for fights with you. We'd rather just love you and be your friend. But you make it really hard. Don't pick fights. Don't pick fights with people who haven't done anything to you, haven't said anything to you. They don't want to fight you. Maybe nobody wants to fight you. Maybe the fight is in you. Brother Tim, you don't know my husband. You don't know him. I wouldn't get mad if he wasn't such a lazy, you know, I understand. It's what you're saying. You're saying, you know, I'm like it because he brings it out of me. In other words, you think of yourself as this lovely flower until somebody walks in and then it's their fault. No, no, no. Maybe it comes out of you because it's in you. And the fact that it is in you ought to break your heart. Don't pick fights with people who honestly don't have a fight with you. And make your peace with God. There's one more here. Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Verse 31, don't envy violent people or, or copy their ways. Uh, I'd say it this way, don't use force, not, not the force. <laughs> don't, don't use force to get what you want. Don't, don't. Don't look at violent people. Don't look at people who do anything to get their way and, and then you imitate them. Scripture's saying there are people like that, but don't you be one of them. You don't use force to get what you want in relationships. Because if you do, you won't have a lot of relationships. It's, it's not how love works. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, which it would do you some good to read. 1 Corinthians 13 says very, very plainly, love does not have to have its own way. Love does not use force to get its own way. That's not what love does. Now, most of us are not fighting people. We're not using force, you know, like, you know, I'm going to go out in the hallway and, and see, you know, some of you down. I mean, day's not over, but I don't expect that, that to happen. It's not that kind of force. You're not a physical force person, but, but you know how to apply the pressure to people. And some of you work relationships this way. You, you put the pressure on people. You can use guilt. You know, some of you can, can, can swing guilt like a hammer. And you can make people feel so guilty for disappointing you. You can make people feel so guilty for just simply disagreeing with you. You can turn it around so fast. And, and again, it's not physical force, but other people experience that as violence. At the end of it, they feel like they've been beat up by you. 
Some people use guilt like that. You know, other people use sex. Sometimes in marriage, one partner or the other will usually use, will even use physical intimacy as a way of control. In other words, if, if you're not satisfying me in every other way, I can, I can turn you off. You understand? That's, that's a lot of pressure. And you know what you're doing. You're trying to use the, the, the pressure, the, the force, the, the strength that you have to get what you want. And that's not what love does. Guilt, uh, physical intimacies, emotional pressure. Some of you just withhold love. If I'm mad at you, I can cut you off like that. Never talk to you. It's not physical force, but it's incredibly violent. It's, it's an awful way to do people. Why would you do anybody that way? You, you, love doesn't act that way. I mean, the scripture makes it plain. I mean, violent people do that, but you're not going to copy their ways, are you? So don't, uh, don't use force to get what you want from people. That's not what love does. Let me uh, offer you a New Year's resolution. Make friends at church. Sound easy? Most of you know it's not. It's, it's not that easy, but make, make friends at church. Before I was a pastor, uh, I spent a lot of years in youth ministry. Working with teenagers, I, I recognized very, very quickly that, that friendship at church was everything for kids. I used to call every kid in my youth group every Wednesday night before just to remind them and just to invite them to come. And, and it's really, really funny because if, if I talked to, say, Denise and I found out Denise wasn't coming, I could then tell you three other girls who wouldn't be there. Boom, boom, boom. You know, because they would come if their friends were going to be there. They would come to church primarily because that's where they could see their friends. And if their friends weren't going to be there, they weren't going to be there. And you could nearly just, you could predict it because that's, that's how kids are. Is it just kids? No, no. I've been at this a little while, y'all. It's not just kids. And I think that's just human. I'm not necessarily saying there's something wrong with that. I think friendships at church are important. I think they're very, very important. If you can't come into the body of Christ, a place where everyone is supposedly knowing the Lord and growing in love for the Lord and, and growing in love for one another, if you can't come to church and feel like you have friends, then, then either you're doing it wrong or they're doing it wrong. But that, that's wrong. I think we need friends at church. I think you need friends at church. I think the number one reason why a lot of people don't come to church is they just don't have any friends there. Now, at a church like Woodburn, there are a lot of friendly people here. Most everybody is friendly. Some of these people are absolutely insane. I mean, so much fun. I mean, we got some really fun, funny, friendly people, but that doesn't mean you got friends. If we only see each other and talk to each other at church and you only seem to know my name when we're at church, then honestly, I, I don't necessarily feel like I have friends. And you wonder why some people float in and out. I, I promise you those who float in and out are those who don't feel connected. They don't feel like they have any friends here. I don't know if I even want to be in a church where I don't have any friends. Just being honest. I, I can't find any place in the New Testament where the church is talked about where it's not about people who know and love each other. I mean, isn't that what friends are? We've got to know and love each other. So I want you to make a commitment to yourself and to this church that, that you'll make some friends at church. 
Okay, let's agree on some things. Number one, none of us are good at it. In our culture, Americans overall, we are not good friends. We're horrible at it. If you've ever made a friend with with someone from another country, another culture, you probably discovered something about friendship, that they do friendship well. They will slow down and share life with each other. We don't have time for that. So as Americans, we, we don't do friends well. I'm not good at friendship. In my heart, I, I, I want to be, but I'm, I'm just, I'm a doofus. Uh, anybody else, like, people text me, and I appreciate that. I love all your texts, but when somebody texts me, I will answer in my head, but not text back. You ever do that? I get it with my wife. She'll say, uh, are, are you going to be home for supper at six? And I'll go, yes. <laughs> That's not a joke, y'all. I do that. You know, somebody will text me or send me an email, are we still good for lunch at 11? Yes. And I keep going. I forget <laughs> to, to answer. You know, in other words, friendship, it, it, it's a two-way thing. Somebody reaches out to me, I reach back to them. It's a two-way thing. And this is where a lot of people get really frustrated because you, you're not expecting it to be so much work for you. But it's going to be work for you. Understand? Any place you have a, a true friendship, somebody sacrificed, and probably two people sacrificed a lot. So I, I'm telling you, on the front end of this, expect to put some real work into this thing because the people you're trying to make friends with aren't going to be very good at it. And let's be honest, you're not very good at it either. What you looking at, boom, you understand? You're not real good at this either. So let's put some work in, into this. Now, people are naturally cliquish. And, and, and click is, is usually a really tight circle of beautiful friends that you're not a part of. Understand? Everybody wants to be a part of something like that. But when you're on the outside of something like that, it always looks kind of creepy. So understand, even in a church like Woodburn, we have cliques. And if you run up against a clique like that and it's just too hard to get in, then forget those people. Understand? There's a whole lot of people in this church if you find three ladies and it just, it just breaks your heart that they won't let you be their friend, would you not look around and see we got 500 other ladies? You know? If we got people that, that, that ignore you or forget your name or whatever, just move on. We got so many people in this church. Understand? D- don't get your undies in a bunch and get your feelings all hurt because one person doesn't respond to you. Just move on. Find somebody else. I'm just being honest, you know? Because if all it takes is one person to, to be rude to you or, or one person to ignore you, one person to sit down in your seat, I mean, if that's all it takes, understand, the devil will just line them up. Every time you walk into church, the devil will just line up people that are going to be rude to you. Because if that's all it takes to keep you away, then, then, then you make the devil's work easy. But be a, a, a little more adult in this and, and a little more committed to actual relationships. Make some friends. Now, at Woodburn, the best way to do that is in smaller groups. This big gathering on Sunday morning worship, this is not a really good environment for making and establishing good relationships. Notice you're all looking at one person, me, understand? And I've already said, I'm a horrible friend. I mean, text me. I won't even text back. I mean, understand? Uh, everybody's looking at me. We have to get into situations where you can connect with each other, and that's typically small groups. So right now, if you're not in a small group, you're probably not very well connected, and there's not a lot we can do to help you. Understand? If you're just walking in and out on Sunday morning, or you're just sitting at home listening to this on a podcast, there's not a lot we can do to connect with you. 
I'm just telling you the truth. You're never going to be really satisfied if you just come and go from this big room. It's hard to establish real relationships in this room. At some point, you're going to have to take the next step. There are going to be risks involved. You may reach out to somebody who doesn't necessarily reach back to you. Just keep on going. You need friends. You need friends too badly to give up when somebody turns out to be a bad friend. You just be a good friend and you just keep going. You understand it takes kindness and loyalty. In other words, this sort of stubborn determination to see this relationship through. We need to be friends. We need to make more friends. Some of us feel like we've got all the friends we need. I, I told my son every day of his life growing up, you cannot have too many friends. You need all the friends you can get. Just keep investing in real friendship. When you are able to share that kind of love, you will begin to understand the love of the Father in heaven who has created us to know his love and to share his love with others. It may be actually one of the hardest things in the world we'll ever do you know, learn to love each other truly. But honestly, if you don't have true love in your life, it makes life sometimes not even seem worth living. You need friends, you need people, and you need love. Learn how to love people. Pray with me. Jesus, we know that it is you that we need. If we don't have you filling up what's empty in us, Lord, other people can never fill us up as empty as we are. If we can't know your love, Lord, it's very, very difficult for us to exchange love with other people. Lord, it is you that we need. Help us to know you, to love you, to understand what it means to be loved by you. And then, Lord, will you not begin to repair all of the broken things in our heart that make it so hard for us to trust and love other people. Lord, some of us have been badly wounded by people that we trusted. Some of us have been badly wounded by people that we thought loved us. And some of us have been badly wounded by people in this church or another church. And it makes it really, really difficult for us to want to start over trusting and loving people. But God we got to love and trust people. Because if we don't love and trust people, there is so much of your work that you can't do in our lives because you want to work through people. So, Lord, open our hearts. Teach us to trust. Teach us to love. Will you not teach us the ways of kindness and loyalty? Make it so that, Lord, we can live our lives connected with friends that become like family. Pray these things in the name of Jesus who makes us one. Amen. Stand together. The altar is open if you wish to come and pray. Uh, if you have a public decision to make, come on down to the front or text me, uh, whatever you want to do. Uh, I love you. I, I want to see your lives made whole. That wholeness is only found in Christ. Surrender to him. Come to know him now as we sing.